the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Oh boy, a long, long time away. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. I I did. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. So listen, we've got a lot to talk about. Holy cow, it feels like we've been gone. Um, I have been gone for ages and i guess we have it's been four days um but um so much has happened all right let me before we get to um the uh what's going on on the battle for our republic which is of course the biggest thing that's going on let me mention comment on this uh on this uh the bill that the president uh, sort of was forced into signing uh that has all this bad pork in it and all this uh, nonsense and gives uh, only um six hundred dollars per person uh, in direct aid here here's what i want to say about this um the first thing is the system just stinks, right? There's no, there's no getting around this now. We have a stinky, stinky system. It is not good. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't work uh, well. It, uh, it's kind of a failure, and um, it is. Um, it is. You know, just what we're stuck with. And the simple fact is that you know the president is now. Um, you could say. You know, you can say. I wish he had changed it all along. He could have picked this fight earlier in the uh, year, in his years in office. I, whatever. You could do all those things. Just sound right to me. But the simple fact is. We are where we are. And the system is totally broken, meaning it's totally corrupt in Washington. I mean, it, it, couldn't, be, it couldn't be more corrupt, really. Um, it, the system is all about, there's no such thing as earmarks anymore. That's true. So there's no such thing as earmarks where you actually put in the bill a line item that says, you know, build a bridge over here for congressman so-and-so. But in all other ways, with the amount of spending that they do, it's just a cultural, institutional bribery. That the way you pass one of these massive bills in order to get the votes you need to is everybody puts in their thing to get bribed. That they won't support it if this doesn't happen. They won't support it if that doesn't happen. They won't support it if the other thing doesn't happen. And the truth is that the only gang, the only uh, uh, way to, to succeed is to get in one of the gangs, in one of the, the mafia families, Republicans, Democrats, establishment, and get what you want. And I think what the president realized at the end of all this is stuck with it is if he vetoed it in some sense, I don't know if he would say this, he was betrayed by his own team. Mnuchin and everybody else negotiating sort of swallowed up in the mentality. And so in order to what? Not have a government shutdown, not have people get, you know, their little bit of $600. Uh, he just swallowed and took it. Now, of the things that the president has done that has been extraordinary over four years, changed the way we view China, changed the way we view uh, the, uh, the uh, use of tariffs, changed the way we think about America first, changed the way we think about wars and pulling the military home, changed the way we think about getting peace in the world. He's done a lot of changing of the way things are done, changing the way that um, uh, regulations can be cut, changing the way that um, some of the government bureaucracies can be challenged. But the fact is, he has not been able to beat back the Congress, the Swamp Congress. It's just, that's just true. 
And so if you go over to ProAmericaReport.com, you can sign up for the daily email there. But you also see these many interviews over these uh, months and years of the Trump time. He never, you know, he, 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 he basically gave in to the Republican Congress that wanted to do tax cuts. Now, he liked the tax cuts, but that's what they wanted. You know, and then they lost the House. And then he's, you know, on judges, that's a big one. On judges, he certainly did get success. So I'll take that one and put it over there. That was that was the fruit of both bodies, of both the Congress and the presidency together. But in a fundamental way, spending especially, you know, boondoggle pork things, even on immigration. Remember how he had to fight so hard to build a wall to use money that was appropriated for national security to, by saying, hey, our, our border is a national security issue. He finally got a lot of it built. But the simple fact is the swamp Congress, it's been pretty tough for him to beat. And he's only really been able to pick around at the edges. Now, let's move on to the next thing again. It's Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Go over there. If you haven't been to StopTheSteal.us, you need to go there. Or Jan6, J-A-N-6.org. That's a website for all the action that's happening on January 6th. Remember, let's update this. The battle for the republic, three battlefronts. The legal fight in the states, the constitutional fight in the courts and in the Congress, and then the battlefront of the media, the propaganda, fake news. Legal fight, I got to tell you, I keep hoping there's going to be some ground uh, to made up. doesn't seem like in the States for a minute there was a case in Arizona. Uh, there's some uh, cases in uh, a case in um, uh, Georgia, but none of that seems to be moving. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to say. I know the Supreme Court took up one of the cases, so maybe that will get uh, one of the Pennsylvania cases. Maybe that, but we're on out of time. Which moves me over to the uh, the uh, the front, the battlefront for the Constitution, uh, for the battle for the Republic, and the the frontier over the constitutional fight. It looks like seven states are sending a second uh, slate of electors, uh, Trump electors, and saying this is what we want. These should be seated because there's been a problem. So they're setting up a battle on January 6th when there'll be some other slates having been offered. And when they get to the floor of the U.S. Congress, both houses in joint session. That's the constitutional moment. And, and now there's a lot of pressure on the guy who presides at this event. The Senate president is a guy named Vice President Mike Pence. So he's got a role. Here's what I'll tell you. Between now and then, just a few days, you know, less than just about a week, the, the pressure is going to ramp up on the U.S. senators to join in the protest with Mo Brooks and about 20 congressmen who say we can't accept this election. It was fraudulent. And then there will be when the senators join, then there will be. And remember, just to get you educated on what will happen, I think it'll be about 11 o'clock. They will go to the open up a joint session. It might be 12 noon. It could be. I guess it is. Maybe it's 12 noon, 12 noon Eastern time, midday in the on January 6th, joint session of the U.S. House and Senate. And then if an objection is heard. Mo Brooks, and, and also by a senator, then by operation of law, they go, uh, they adjourn the, the um, joint session and return to their individual chambers for a two-hour timed presentation during which each body can say, we saw this, we saw that, this and then the other thing, and then there will be a vote and the chambers will vote. Then they'll come back into session having had two decisions. And again, if there's chaos at that point, there could be a, there could be, you could be seeing somebody sprint over to the Supreme Court and say, what do we do now? How do we handle this? What happens if they're jammed up? What happens if there's... Um, you know, kind of a, a conflict between the House and Senate. Maybe it might be possible. What happens if there's uh, a uh, conflict between within the bodies? I, who knows? Who knows what they, you know, if something changes in, in Trump's favor, 
you can bet the Biden people will have lawyers ready to go charging in. So it's uncertain. But that day, what I want to tell you, and go to Jan 6, as in January 6, Jan6.org, there will be millions. I'm not kidding you. Millions of people in Washington, D.C. on January 6. They'll actually be coming in on the 5th and 4th and other times. And they'll be gathering to make their voices heard. And I got to tell you, it's going to be something spectacular. It will be something spectacular. If you have the ability to come to Washington, D.C., please do. I'll be there. We're, we're, we're running one event up on the Capitol. I know there's another great event down at Freedom Plaza. There's going to be a lot of things happening in the Capitol. But mostly, we need the president and the Congress to see how strong the support in America is for doing the right thing. Doing the right thing. And the right thing is that this election was broken, it was corrupt, it was corrupted, and you need to get to the bottom of it. And you can't certainly can't see a new president based on a, a, a flawed election. So that's what's going to happen. So why look for Jan, Jan6.org, Jan6.org is the website. Go there and check it all out. And uh, all right, one more thing, one more action step. I, over the weekend, a lot of you were helping. Uh, I, you know, I do a daily Periscope over on Twitter, the Twitter's uh, video feed. And I've been asking my Periscope participants, do, do me a favor. Go to StopTheSteal.us, StopTheSteal.us, and click through to the link and contact state uh, contact the U.S. Senators, the following Senators, Senator Scott of Florida, Senator Johnson of Wisconsin, Senator Cruz of Texas, Senator Rand Paul of, uh, of uh, Kentucky, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, who'd I miss, Senator Tommy Tubble, Tuberville, the Senator-elect from Alabama, I think that's all of them, all those men... They happen to be men. Oh, Kelly Loeffler, uh, Senator Loeffler of uh, Georgia is another one. They all happen to be men, except for Kelly, um, Senator Loeffler. And we need to contact them and say, hey, we need you to object on January 6th. We need you to help on January 6th. You can do it on January 6th. Be a hero on January 6th. Be very friendly. Send the email. Just say, I live in whatever state you're in. If you're in California, fine. Say, I'm in California, but I need your help. We need to stand up to what's going on. We need to stand up. You can do it. Please be a hero. And we got to move some of those folks. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we will talk today. We got a, a very interesting guest, uh, a gentleman whose name is um, is uh, um, I'm thinking his last name. Sorry, uh, J- Joseph Johnston. He wrote a book called The Decline of Nations. And then we'll also talk with our friend Todd Benzman uh, about immigration issues. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Ready? Welcome back. It's Ed Martin. Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Our next guest. I've been looking forward to this one because I'll tell you what happens. And my listeners know this, sir, that I love reading and I love books and people. I get them to send me books. And then when I like them, I say, well, I'll talk to that author. So this next author is Joseph F. Johnston, Jr. And he has the distinction of having practiced law and uh, been a, a professor even in, in, at UVA and other places. And he's written a couple of books, one for Regnery called The Limits of Government. But this book that's out is called The Decline of nations lessons for strengthening america at home and in the world it's out on republic uh books republic book publishers we've had a few of those authors on so welcome uh sir mr johnston how are you today sir well i'm fine ed it's a pleasure to be on with you 
Well, thank you. Now, so let me first ask you the broad question. I got this book. It's a great title, by the way. Phyllis Schlafly, my old boss, used to say half a book is its title because people got to want to read it. And so it's a great title, great cover. Um, what, what, where are we, America, the American nation, in terms of the decline? You know, we see all the hyperventilating about how, oh, there's, you know, Joe Biden says there's been un- unexpected or unprecedented assaults on democracy. And President Trump says it's the worst uh, fraud ever. But a lot of that's uh, a lot of that's what politicians do. And they've done it in every uh, period of time. What's the fundamentals of the nation? Well, uh, there are a number of things, Ed. Uh, One of the things that happens when a nation begins to decline is that the government grows much larger at the expense of the taxpayers and and the and the individuals' public liberty and so forth, and you see a great example of that. Just the other day, we passed this. Congress has passed this enormous nine hundred billion dollar funding bill, supposedly for coronavirus, but it's just loaded with pork. And the Congress continues to spend a lot of money, which is not accounted for properly, and uh, mm-hmm. the, the government has grown too big and too expensive and too hard to control. The welfare state, the administrative state, the so-called deep state has grown enormously at the expense of the taxpayers and the public. That's so is example. the, you know, yeah, no, that's exactly. So I have this for, I have this uh, phrase that Eric Hoffer, the sort of um, uh, longshoreman philosopher popularized that uh, every great cause begins as a movement, uh, becomes a business and degenerates into a racket. And when you when I was reading this book and I was the decline of nations and you were talking about the, uh, the America mostly was what I was thinking, not the rest of the world. And I was thinking, what's the what's the, the connective tissue? Right. Not everybody at the founding or even the first hundred and fifty years were Jews or Christians, but the Judeo-Christian ethic, uh, you know, kind of permeated the deal. If you, the, the, the rule of law was sort of predicated on this, this notion that people generally wanted to be honorable in the, in, in transactions and otherwise. So without being too dramatic in the last 50 years, have we just seen a, you know, the, 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 the culture change where the, the the system that holds us together. And you talk about some of the things like uh, uh, political correctness, morality, religion, the, the, it's no longer common to us. Well, that's right, Ed. And, and you mentioned religion and that's one of the things, one of the things that makes a nation strong is strong institutions, strong families, and strong religious institutions, strong churches and so forth. And our founding fathers were very much aware of that. And in the 20th century, there has been a decline of religion and morality. And I think uh, church going is is weaker, and the moral fiber of the country has weakened. The families are not as strong. There's more divorce. Uh, there are more single-parent families. Family breakdown has led to violence in, in many cases. And so that the fabric of the country, including its religious fabric, has weakened, and that's a serious matter. Is the uh, so and, and this is important. And again, we're talking. I want to make sure uh, the, the book is called The Decline of Nations. Uh, Mr. Joseph F. Johnston, Jr., who's the author and uh, is available everywhere. Books are sold and uh, published uh, by Republic uh, Book Publishers. So what's you know, in there you do talk about some of the things that bring us uh, bring us back. But part, part of it is some of the things that can bring us back. 
maybe they feel like they're gone. Like the family, you know, there's no, uh, there's no doubt that the best unit of the family is a mother and a father and kids, right? And, and gainfully employed and, and, and some, some role in the family for one of the parents to be focused on the kids in a more dramatic way, right? But yeah. that's not the genie, genie's out of the bottle. So on that one, I mean, I can imagine a revival of, of faith. Every time I talk politics, uh, sir, in the evenings now, I go on Facebook Live and I pray at the end. I get more reaction to the prayer than everything else I say. So I can think, I can see a revival of faith. I don't know how, as a matter of society, we go back to what is a better way of the family. I mean, how, how, you can't do it with the law, right? I, there's no moving the no-fault divorce law to to something harder, which is one of the big changes. So what what gets us back towards that family? I think what gets us back is, is a cultural counter-revolution. There have been in this country... Uh, as you know, it's, if you studied history, a couple of religious uh, awakenings. The, great, the first great awakening mm-hmm, yes. was in the 18th century. The second great awakening was in the 19th century. And there can be a third great awakening, I hope. And that is something that will have to happen over time when people come to realize uh, that man cannot live by mammon alone. And just because mm-hmm. we're we're rich and comfortable and prosperous, does not mean that we're going to be a thriving and successful society. We need to rebuild mm-hmm. those institutions, like the families, the churches, strong communities, uh, of course, a strong military, and strong middle class values such as hard work, thrift, patriotism, free markets, sound money. <clears throat> fiscal responsibility and the rule of law, those type of things, that takes a cultural counter-revolution. It's going to take a long time, uh, but we have to start somewhere. Yeah. Uh, all right. I want to switch a little bit to this question because I, but I know, I know, I know from having read your own history, uh, you, you yourself practice law and, uh, and, uh, maybe say it, um, uh, politely, you've been around the block a time or two. And so you have some perspective on, on lots. And here's my, here's the question. We watched and recognized what the Soviet communist threat was in America. And I wasn't alive. I was, uh, you know, but I, I, when I look at the history, we identified pretty quickly after the 1950s or so, what Soviet communism as a threat could be to our way of life. And when I look at the, so, the, the Chinese communist regime and I see the impact they've had on America, and then I watch some of the left that is echoing, you know, the, 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 the sort of party line, if not the actual capital P party line of the communists, you know, the secularism and all the kinds of things, the, the 1619 project. I mean, is it are we missing the enemy uh, within, uh, and 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 does that have to be a part of it? I mean, sometimes it's easier to have an enemy. You can say, "Aha! You see, it's communism. What they're trying to do to us is destroy us. Let's fight that. You win, we lose." Ronald Reagan said. And is that is that possible? That that's a way to frame this because it feels like we're trying to grab a, an armful of jello. Otherwise, well, that's a good point, Ed. Very well stated, and and it does it happens. There are external enemies like the Soviet Union was, and we recognize that. Actually, I'm old enough to even remember the beginnings of it. After World War II, uh, we founded NATO. We supported a strong Europe in order to prevent a Soviet takeover of all of Europe. They took over part of it, but not the whole thing. And mm-hmm. But there's also internal problems and weaknesses. And you, do, you had a... Uh, 
basically a, a, a an internal dissension from the left in in the Cold War days, and now we're moving, as you say, into another Cold War with China. And there are very few people, I'm afraid, in this country who have adequately recognized that danger and recognize that we have to face it. We have to we have to be strong militarily. We have to reinvigorate our military and take into account that the Chinese are developing fantastic new weapons in space and uh, missile technology that we have to counter. We have to, to have deterrence. We have to be strong and not weak. And we have to be strong internally, too. And we have to recognize mm-hmm. the dangers that we face both externally and internally. It uh, It's very interesting time. I think your book is well-timed. It's called The Decline of Nations, a Lessons for Strengthening America at Home and in the World. Uh, just out a few weeks ago on hardback. Again, it's Joseph F. Johnston, Jr. And uh, available everywhere you get books, but it's published by Republic Book Publishers. Thank you, sir, for your time. We'll have you back on again. I think this is a very good, it's a very timely uh, topic. And, and I think we a lot of what you say in the book and on this interview, we've got to see revival and changes. And one thing I like best is we can't figure it out. We're not going to fix it all at once. You just got to start. You know, you got to start moving. So thank you for the time, sir. Appreciate it very much. Well, thank you, Ed. I enjoyed it very much. Enjoyed the conversation. Okay. Thank you, sir. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. We'll have you on again. We Merry will uh, we'll take a okay. Thank you. We'll take a quick break, everybody. We'll be right back. That is Joseph Johnston. The book is The Decline of Nations. Again, available wherever books are available, and but also it's Republic Publishers, that new publisher. I like so much what they're up to. We'll take a break. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's We're just talking off the air. It's been a long time. It's too long. Todd Benzman, who's over at the Center for Immigration Studies, he's the senior national security fellow there. He's been a long time since he's on, so, been on, so I'm glad to have him on. Uh, he is, of course, the uh, the Center for Immigration Studies, a uh, Texas-based uh, guy. He's down there, and he does, writes a lot on the border and has a perspective there. He's got a book coming out. We'll have him on again to talk about that in about two months, over in February of the new year. It's called America's Covert Border War, the Untold story of the nation's battle to prevent jihadist infiltration so congratulations on that book todd and welcome back to the program how are you today i'm doing great how about you I'm doing fine, thanks. And you, 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 you caught my attention. You caught my eye because I saw um, the uh, piece uh, uh, from December 10th and updated, I think, a day or so later. A new migrant caravan, caravan forms. So tell us, Todd, uh, what's happening on the border? What, what are, new caravans are forming? Is this a welcome caravan for Joe Biden? Is it, uh, is it a COVID caravan? What, what's the, what, tell us the story. Tell what's happening here. Well, we have to remember that... Uh, All through the campaign, Joe Biden promised uh, many things to aspiring migrants all across the globe, Uh, mainly that all impediments to crossing the southern border would be removed once he is in office, all disincentivizing policies from Donald Trump, from the Donald Trump uh, term would be reversed. There would be no detention for his first 100 days. Uh, An amnesty for all. Uh, A bill is uh, uh, in the offing within the first couple of months of a Biden uh, presidency. And this kind of messaging is heard loud and clear throughout the world, especially in the 
Northern Triangle countries, and they're ready to come uh, in in masses. They're, the the numbers are already up. Uh, we're having about 2,000 a day that we're seeing on the border, and everybody should probably remember the caravan crisis from 2018 uh, into 2019 until President Trump put a stop to it. Uh, the caravans originate in Honduras, and they are testing another one just uh, formed up a little bit early from their point of view uh, to try to push through to the to the U.S. border. And this particular one didn't make it because uh, the Honduran government and the Guatemalan government and the Mexican government have closed their borders for pandemic. So they this particular one was stopped. But as soon as the pandemic uh, starts to wane in those areas, uh, you'll see caravans pop up and push through and test and probe and try to get to the U.S. border. The very first one, and these are important to watch, the very first mm-hmm. one that actually makes it will right. inspire many more behind it. And uh, we have a lot of migrants just waiting for the green light. Uh, we're talking with Todd Benzman, and uh, he is over at the Center uh, for Immigration Studies at CIS.org and uh, writes over there. Um, wh- so uh, did they form because basically they, they watched CNN uh, five days after the election and they said, OK, now it's time to start moving? Or are they going to test uh, President Trump again? I mean, what's the is it that simple that the, the, the geopolitics are based on what they see in the election? Very much so. I was in. Uh, Chiapas, southern Mexico, earlier this year, I spent a lot of time with migrants. The campaign at that time was the Democratic primaries were on. They were all trying to outdo each other with how uh, soft they were going to go on immigration, illegal immigration. And everybody that I talked to down there, uh, pretty much everybody, was very well aware of that the Democrats were going to go soft, whoever it was. And they were going to wait in Mexico, and they were making life choices and life decisions on the gamble that Democrats would take over the Oval, uh, take the White House, and make things easy for them. They said it. I quoted them. I wrote about it. And they're still saying it to this day, especially now that Biden's in office. And just, you know, a couple days ago, Susan Rice and uh, John Sullivan, the um, his uh, to be soon to be senior policy advisor went on the record, you know, talking about how they're going to put an amnesty bill together first thing and put it, put it, put it to Congress. And people listen to that down there. They're very acutely aware of that sort of uh, messaging. And if I can just get this in, I know we don't have a lot of time, but, but Uh also it's not just Central American migrants. There are migrants all over the world who are pooled up, in Panama, Costa Rica, Guyana, Suriname, uh, from from the Middle East, from South Asia, from terrorism countries, from Cuba, Africa, from all over the world that are just absolutely piled up behind these pandemic border closures. Uh, also pushing and pressing and testing and trying to get through so when when things ease up on the pandemic 
uh, border closures and Biden's in office, it's not going to just be Central Americans crossing over. It'll be uh, lots of uh, migrants of national security concern uh, that we can expect to be uh, you know, crossing in with them. It's funny that you say that. Not funny you say it. I know it's part of uh, your work. But my wife will often observe to me um, that the uh, the Poros border, and she's a physician. She she says that why isn't it a national security concern? I think your book is well timed. And and of course, and she doesn't say, but I'll say it's also probably a health concern. If it, I, I'm not quite convinced that the uh, lockdown of the <laughs> of all lockdowns on the uh, in the country is appropriate, but it certainly seems like if you're coming from a border through a border that doesn't have any checks and doesn't monitor what's going on well you might well be bringing in some of the people that have uh, illness um it what's the todd what's the political reality uh, uh, down in texas where you live and work a lot but also do you think in the country you've watched uh this and again uh, we're talking with todd bensman center for immigration studies cis.org is a, it's a great site a wealth of information what's the political reality i mean if you believe the po- the election the country's kind of you know pretty fa- evenly divided if you believe it if you don't it's uh, maybe one the other way but um if you have migrants coming if you have these policies if we do have a president buying these policies what's the politics of that going to feel like or be what do you think well i think the biden administration came out of this last election campaign keenly aware that that their positioning on illegal immigration is a loser uh how do we know mm. that texas is a great place uh to know that because districts all along the Texas-Mexico border went red for the first time in living memory, Trump red. And those are Mm. Latino districts. Those are uh, primarily, uh, you know, 90% of the voters down there are Latino or Mexican-American descent. And they're historically blue districts, you know, Val Verde County, Zapata County, uh, those those places always go blue. And for a long time during the election, people were thinking, well, Texas might become a swing state. But those mm-hmm. districts down there guaranteed that Texas would not become a, a swing state. And I interviewed a lot of people down there, and I've written about, you know, what happened? How did these Latinos, uh, you know, go Trump red on this? And what I was told is, that they absolutely were repelled uh, by the mass migration of Central Americans that poured over the border during 2018 and 2019 and listening to the Democratic messaging about it, that Hmm. that that was okay by them, that that was something that they were going to litigate to guarantee uh, entry and that they mm-hmm. would change policy. And they heard the uh, protesters and demonstrators and, you know, defund ICE and Border Patrol are Nazis. And a lot of people who live down there work for the Border Patrol. Uh, you know, 80 percent of Border Patrol are, you know, Mexican-American or Latino speaking Spanish. Mm-hmm. And people make their living down there, um, you know, guarding that border. And not to mention, you know, Latinos in Texas are very proud Americans, and they did it the right way. They went through the right. through the legal process. They paid their fees. They waited, and they're mad to see people shortcut right through their property and into the American interior forever and ever. 
uh, pretty much, and they voted uh, Trump. And I think that the Biden administration is somewhat aware that they are in a pretty tough spot between their left wing, the progressives, where they'll have a tremendous amount of pressure to undo everything Trump, and just a pragmatic need to avoid a big, massive migration crisis on the border in the first months of the administration. So they'll probably slow roll some of those policies. The pandemic works in their favor uh, right now, just because a lot of those countries have border closures, but they really can't influence the minds uh, once they're made up of the migrants themselves. They heard those messages. Uh, They're going to come one way or another in larger numbers. So you can expect to see that in the first quarter. Hmm. It's uh, it's amazing. Uh, all right, Todd, I got to run. Todd Benzman, he's at Center for Immigration Studies. Uh, his, uh, his he writes there, he posts there, and he's got a new book out in a few months called "America's Covert Border War: The Untold Story of N- the Nation's Battle to Prevent Jihadist Infiltration." I can tell you to be good again. Center for Immigration Studies, CIS dot org. Thank you, Todd, very much. We'll talk again soon. Let's not make it so long. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having me, Ed. I appreciate the attention. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, go to ProAmericaReport.com to sign up for our daily email and also to get all these interviews as standalone links. We'll be right back. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. New Year's resolutions are notoriously difficult to keep. In fact, some studies indicate that 80% of the New Year's resolutions are abandoned by February. In the end, they say, only 8% of resolutions are carried to completion. These numbers might sound discouraging, but here's a New Year's resolution every conservative grassroots activist should be able to handle very easily. Resolve to be a part of passing good legislation in your state. Like many people, you probably hear all about important pieces of legislation on the federal level. Getting involved on that scale is certainly possible, but it can be intimidating. If you've never engaged in direct grassroots legislative efforts, start small by influencing in your state. Make no mistake, state legislation is just as important as the big national stuff you hear about all the time on the news. For conservatives, passing good legislation at the state level is a very achievable goal. 29 out of the 50 state legislatures are completely Republican-controlled. 21 of those states have Republican governors as well. It very well may be that these elected officials are just waiting for a conservative like you to demonstrate grassroots support for smart legislation. It's easy to get involved. If you have an idea for new legislation, take it to your state rep or state senator if he's conservative. If not, find another member with a reputation as a conservative. Be sure to do your research. See if other states have already tried the legislation you want and be ready to list the positive outcomes. There's always strength in numbers, so consider recruiting other conservative friends to join your citizens' campaign. If there's a bill already in motion that you want to support, there are still several ways to get involved. Set up meetings with state legislators to discuss why you support the bill. You'd be amazed how accessible many of the state elected officials are. Rules will vary from state to state, but find out what it takes to testify before a hearing at your state capitol. In many states, any citizen can speak his mind on legislation before any committee. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. 
make a New Year's resolution to influence good legislation in your state in 2021. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. What's the best way to rekindle the spirit of Phyllis Schlafly and the grassroots movement she energized? In this digital age, patriots and pro-family Americans can find insight and inspiration on our website, phyllisschlafly.com. Then, share your own heart and mind on social media. So join us at phyllisschlafly.com and every weekday for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be back. I'm, I'm glad to be able to talk. I'm looking at some notes, though. I wanted to get back to this one for you. Um, there was a piece that ran in the um, in on a, on a website. I think it was on Twitter first, but I got through to the website. And I want to put it up. I want to talk about it, and then I'll put it up on social media. And the, the piece is entitled, um, let me get it right, because uh, the author's name is Yasha Mounk. It came out on uh, December 23rd. It's, the title is Why I'm Losing Trust in Institutions. And, and I don't know who the guy is, but I do know that the piece he writes is about the CDC and their guidelines on dispensing the vaccines. And to cut the, sto- the story short, it's basically his basically his basic assertion is and he's he's it looks like he's a medical ethicist. I mean, I know he is a medical ethicist, but and this topic fascinates me. I studied this in my when I was young. I studied medical ethics. Um, what what he's um, what he's saying is the CDC nearly uh, decided that the path forward for the vaccination was to do it, to distribute it based not on vulnerability, but based on who is politically correct. Meaning the people who die from this disease are old people, older people by and large, by, by huge numbers and younger people don't. And so the CDC was saying, well, we can't just give it to old people because mo- most of the old people are white. And we need to give it to uh, African-American people, too, and minorities. And so maybe we should give it first to people who are working on the front lines. Now, the front lines workers are good people to give it to, too. I know there are a lot of them are eligible. But the point here is that this author talks about is the CDC, which should know better in terms of its um, its way of thinking about um, uh, what is what's the job. The job is to make sure people are getting um, are getting uh, uh, protected. It, you know, that, that's the job of a vaccination. And within a range of that, if it was, say, killing doctors, killing nurses, killing uh, frontline workers in a disproportionate number, you do go there first because you got to have them to work. It's like a military thing. But that's not what the facts is. At least this is how this author writes about it. And his point is this, is that the institutions that you should be able to count on to do things in a sane way are totally tied up by this cultural uh, awareness, this cultural uh, wokeness problem. And so he's he, he couldn't believe it. And he's basically saying, you know, if this is what's happening, and I have to tell you, I think this is the biggest problem with the with the growth of government, right? When government keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it, it becomes more and more insulated from what I would say is uh, normal values, maybe um, community values. Like you wouldn't do that in your neighborhood. If you had that in your homeowners association, you wouldn't do that because people would be up in arms. But if you're in a bureaucracy, you're somehow insulated. I'm, I'm just, by the way, thumbnailing that. That's I'm, I'm blue skying, whatever the phrase is. I'm I'm not sure. I have an answer, but I am. I'm describing his point is that he's giving up on institutions. He's giving up on scientists because they don't appear to be doing science. They appear to be doing their own personal policy preferences. And what, and that's, this is the, maybe the most important thing 
I've said before, maybe Walter Cronkite was a complete and total liberal. I don't know for sure. I think he was supposed to be a little bit liberal or maybe. And, and every day he did skew the news, but we didn't know it. He kind of hid it well. Or we didn't believe it, maybe. Maybe we did. Maybe some people knew it, but they didn't. Now, what you see is you can see these people are totally human and totally given in to their biases. I'm talking about news people. So you, you don't even, you know, you know, you get Jake Tapper and you get these people. They're supposed to be news reporters, and they're just giving in to their biases completely. And what the point here in this essay is that the institutions that you think of, well, they're doing science. They're going to come to the conclusions that are scientific, that are balanced, that have the right values. We can trust that to work out. And he writes about this with the vaccines, that the preferences were going to be based on some political correct, politically correct sort of understanding of what to do. And that is a kind of tyranny. Now, to be clear, you have to make some value judgments at a certain point, right? Someone has to decide what to do, who's going to get the vaccine first. But I think the judgment is, in the case of the vaccine, who gets protected? Who is in need of protection? Not who is minority group. That's the big difference. All right, as always, let me say thank you to our great uh, technical director, Noah, for keeping things online, especially on the vacation time. It's in and out and up and down, so thank you, Noah. Joanna, for booking our guests, and you for listening. Don't forget, you can always go to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and uh, sign up there for the Daily Wink, what you need to know, as well as get all these interviews as links you can listen to. So we'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.